Welcome and let's first talk compliance. I'm Catherine Short, Marketing Manager at First Healthcare Compliance, a division of Panacea Healthcare Solutions. Thanks for tuning in. This show is brought to you by First Healthcare Compliance as part of our commitment to provide high-quality, complimentary educational resources. We help create confidence among compliance professionals throughout the United States. Please show your support by taking a moment to provide a review on Google, Facebook, or iTunes. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. On today's episode, we are speaking with Ileana L. Peters, shareholder at Pulsinelli PC, on the topic of the risks of data sharing. These days, health data is an incredibly valuable commodity. Companies of all types should consider the legal risk with data valuation, data ownership, and data sharing agreements. In this episode, we will be discussing the scope and breadth of data sharing projects in development in the healthcare sector, examine contractual, state, federal, international legal obligations for data privacy and security for such projects, and discuss issues related to data ownership that may also be part of such projects. Before we begin, I would like to mention at First Healthcare Compliance, we strive to serve as a trusted resource for compliance professionals, and we celebrate their hard work and dedication with our Compliance Super Ninja recognition. For this episode, we're spotlighting Super Ninja Mika Lantz, Front Office Manager at Mountain Ridge Pediatrics. Mika says what she enjoys most about working with Mountain Ridge Pediatrics is interacting and forming relationships with our patients and their families. Congratulations, Mika. Our team is honored to have the privilege of working with you. So thank you, Ileana, for being on First Talk Compliance. It's so great to have you here today. Thanks for having me. Okay, so why don't we start with an overview of health data, value proposition, what some of the legal risks are with data sharing projects? Sure, sure, absolutely. This is a a new and evolving area of practice, particularly because we have many different entities that are very interested in engaging in innovative data sharing projects that result from the need to do research of all different types. Um, And that is research with a small r in terms of research and development within entities, development of new products and services, and research with a big r, that is human subjects research as defined under the law that may, you know, be used to to determine new therapies, new drugs, new devices for patients as well. So there are all kinds of research projects going on, you know, related to the use of data and for many different and important reasons. And as a result, we're seeing a lot of questions about the legal requirements and risks associated with those types of projects and particularly the agreements that are necessary and and that are put in place between business partners related to those projects. Can you give us an example maybe of what some of these new and innovative projects or research? Sure, sure. So for example, we have 
many different entities that are interested in developing new software applications that may, you know, help with treatment or billing or, you know, services in the healthcare sector to some extent. Um, and they need data to really do evaluation and development of, you know, those prototypes and tools. We know that there are um, a lot of entities that are working on developing new drugs or new treatments just based on data that is you know, what kinds of treatments are they seeing working for certain populations of patients over time? Um, and can we implement that same kind of treatment, you know, in, in a larger population? You know, there are entities that are looking at all different types of health disparities issues. So how do we get better treatment to better locations or better populations? You know, what does that look like? And, and how can we help develop tools and technologies to, to help with those issues? So there's a variety of different projects in this space that have a lot of really important and practical implications for how we provide care in the healthcare sector. That's really interesting. Some of the ones I would have thought of, and then some of the ones that you mentioned, I never would have thought of, such as billing you mentioned, and and a few other things. How about a a quick summary of the legal issues involved in these projects? I'm sure it's myriad, but if you could tell us some of the legal issues, and, and do you think that there's serious legal risks associated with some of these issues and projects? What are your thoughts on, on all of that? Sure, sure. So the short answer is yes, there is serious legal risk. There are requirements at the state, federal, and international level in the law itself related to how we can use and disclose data. Um, And that includes a general prohibition on the sale of data. So many of these innovative projects um, include some kind of benefit to the entity originating the data because they are, in fact, contributing data to an important project that's going to arguably result in, you know, a new service or a new application or some kind of, you know, new invention, for lack of a better term. I don't mean that in the legal sense. I just sort of mean that in the general sense. And as a result, um, these agreements contemplate what we call direct or indirect remuneration. That is some kind of benefit to the entity that's originating the data. That's considered a sale of data. And so that would necessitate consent from the individuals whose data we're using for these projects. And so, you know, it's really important, I think, that um, entities understand what this looks like from a legal perspective because of those risks. As a result, a lot of entities are anonymizing data so that we can use data for projects involving remuneration without implications for patient privacy because the patients are arguably not identifiable or we can't, we don't know who those patients are, who those consumers are as part of those projects because we've anonymized the data. But obviously, if we're going to do that, we have to make sure that we do that properly and in a way that, in fact, doesn't allow for those individuals to be identified, doesn't allow business partners or downstream users of that data to re-identify or recombine data with other data sets to figure out who those people are that are the subjects of the data. Um, And that's not easy. It's It's a hard issue. Additionally, we have contractual requirements with our own 
clients and business partners that may significantly restrict how we can use data, how we can put data together in data sets, and how we can anonymize the data. For example, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services have significant prohibitions in uh, agreements related to Medicare and Medicaid beneficiary data that we have to be aware of when we're aggregating data or de-identifying it um, because we, we generally can't use CMS data in that way. And that's just one example from a contractual perspective. Um, and then, of course, we have data breach issues. So anytime we're putting together lots of data into a big data set, that becomes a target for a criminal, you know, a cyber criminal, a threat actor. Um, and we have to be very cognizant of the risks there, particularly if we're providing that data outside our entity to another business partner who's then going to have our data and be subject to those risks. And then finally, you know, there's always a reputational issue here. Even if we do everything in a legal way, even if we protect the data from a data security perspective, individuals could still find out about how we're using their data in quotation marks because maybe it's not identifiable, maybe it's anonymized data, but it still came from them originally. And they could feel very strongly about, you know, how we're proposing to use data for a particular project. Um, maybe they don't agree with that particular project for whatever reason. And that could also create reputational risks for us. So this is all, they're all risks that we have to consider, you know, from an underlying legal perspective, a contractual perspective, data ownership, data licensure, all of those important controls that we put in place for data security purposes. They just considering what the consumer would feel about any particular data project to make sure that we, you know, consider their viewpoint um, on these projects as well. That's an interesting point, though. But let's say if if data points came from, for example, a patient, I know that occasionally I've been in situations where prior to speaking with you know, a doctor, you know, perhaps a resident has come in and said, do you mind signing this? This is, you know, we're doing some research if you're okay with this. And, you know, I read the paper, et cetera. And, you know, I've asked some questions and I assume that, you know, I'm I'm not the only one who's done this. You know, I, I ask and I say, you know, what is this for? Is this anonymous, et cetera. And it seems like other people would have done the same thing. And if they sign that, it seems like they are being informed. You know, they, they gave informed consent about, you know, whatever information that they gave about themselves that it would go into this study. I guess that leads a little bit into this this next question that I had. How should we consider addressing these issues and risk? And I guess maybe one of them would be making human subjects or, or otherwise people aware of issues and risks. But Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, we could always get informed consent from the patient for any project that we want to move forward with. And, and, and that is the gold standard. So it's a great point that you made that, you know, if what we really want to do is have a well-informed consumer research subject patient, whoever that person is, it's always best to have a conversation with that patient um, and get them to provide an informed consent or a HIPAA authorization um, for any particular project. Because exactly as you say, then, um, you know, it's clear that we've had that conversation with the consumer and that they've made the affirmative decision to share their data for whatever project that we're contemplating. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, 
Um, there are a lot of these projects that we can't, maybe we have the data and it's very old and we can't go back to the person and get their consent to use it for some of these projects. In those circumstances or in other circumstances where arguably we don't legally need informed consent because, again, it's anonymized data or de-identified data, um, that's where those risks that we've been talking about come up. And that is where we need to make sure that we have very robust contractual protections in place that allow for these projects to proceed in a way that will protect the privacy of those consumers and the ownership of the data for the originating entity. So at the end of the day, you know, if we can't get informed consent or HIPAA authorization for these projects from the individual, then we need to proceed in a way that is legal, that, you know, ensures that we're not selling this data either directly or indirectly, and that provides for good contractual protections for the data such that we don't have these really important issues associated with patient privacy, with consumer privacy, um, and with data security. Should entities go it alone, do you think, or get help on these types of data sharing projects? It's a great question. In my experience, it is always good to have outside counsel um, to consult on these. And that doesn't mean your outside counsel has to look at every single agreement. They certainly can, and it, and it helps. But having a specialist in this area is often really helpful to understand the nuances because these are quite complicated issues and very rarely do entities have folks internally that have seen all of these issues and dealt with all of these issues in a way that allows for a really efficient um, and productive uh, review, uh, revision, negotiation of these types of agreements with business partners. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to First Talk Compliance brought to you by First Healthcare Compliance as part of our commitment to provide high quality, complimentary educational resources. We help create confidence among compliance professionals throughout the United States. My guest today is Ileana L. Peters, shareholder at Pulsinelli PC, discussing the topic of the risks of data sharing. Please show your support by taking a few minutes to provide a review of First Healthcare Compliance on Google or Facebook. You can also follow us and subscribe on all forms of social media. What are the most important risks to consider in innovative data sharing projects? Right. As, great question. As we've been discussing, I think the most important risks um, are the risks associated with how the business partners that you're working with are going to use your data. So at the end of the day, you know, making sure that we understand those data ownership and licensure issues, particularly with regard to the type of data that we're using for any particular project so that we can ensure the right controls for that data. So again, we want to make sure that, you know, we appropriately take care of that data, but that's really less of a risk in these projects because, you know, arguably we can control how we use our own data. It's really about when we share that data with business partners, how we do our best to make clear to those business partners how we expect them to use and share our data and how we expect them to protect it. So again, it's about making sure they understand our ownership of the data, 
what the license to the data looks like for purposes of a particular project and how they're going to um, protect the data as they hold it. Um, and, and I would say that's the largest risk is really when we share that data outside of our own institution. Right. Can you explain what some of those risks are, what happens or some of those greatest risks are once they might start to go outside of your own entity? Sure, sure. Yeah. As we talked about, you know, I think one of the biggest risks is data breach. Obviously, if we don't have a good data partner that is, you know, as invested in protecting that data as we are and doesn't have robust security controls for that data, we could very easily have a data breach because, you know, it's likely that they are a target for threat actors because they probably do have a lot of data for a a lot of different entities. Um, The other issue is they could also sell our data um, and, and we could ultimately be liable for that because we handed over our data to an entity that then sold it without consent of the individual. We could also have an issue with, uh, like I said, re-identification. So they could, you know, if it's anonymized data, they could sell it to an entity, um, which would arguably be permitted because it's anonymized, and then that entity could re-identify it because we can't control how they do that. So these are all serious risks associated with working with these business partners if we don't have good control built into our contracts that says specifically, you know, how they can use the data, how they can disclose the data, and the data security controls that we expect them to put in place in their institution to protect the data. What do you mean when you're saying that they re-identify it? What are they doing? Right. So, we could remove all of those 18 identifiers from the data, or we could create, for example, what's called synthetic data, that is data that is similar to an original data set, but not the original data set. Or we could remove certain identifiers and not others that we, in a way that we believe based on an expert opinion, does not allow for an individual to be identified. And then we could give it to a vendor and the vendor could negotiate, for example, with a very large um, internet-based data company or an internet service provider or some someone who has a very large amounts of data. Um, and based on the remaining items in that data set, whatever that is, that could be, let's say, a type of prescription drug that someone is, is taking, certain provider, certain type of service that they're getting for purposes of treatment, you know, a certain state that they're located in. In combination, it's possible that, that someone else could have a data set that includes enough identifiers that overlap with our de-identified data such that they can re-identify it. That is, they can identify the individual for whom it belongs. So when we disclose it, it may not be clear that it's Ileana's data, but when it goes to another um, entity, they may know enough about Ileana to re-identify it and and make make it clear to them that that's actually Ileana. Um, A good example of this was when HHS was working on the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act. um, There were discussions about the identifiability of genetic data um, and whether or not it could be de-identified. The National Institutes for Health, NIH, had genetic databases on its website. NIH is not a HIPAA-covered entity, to be clear. 
Um, but they provided these uh, genetic databases for purposes of research for, for different entities that were doing genetic research. And they believed the information that they had online was not identifiable because it had all identifiers for any particular individuals removed from it. So it was very purely genetic information. Unfortunately, it was discovered that a researcher cross-referenced at least one of these databases, and, and this was obviously some time ago, cross-referenced one of these NIH databases with a publicly available criminal database and was able to identify uh, convicted uh, felons as a result of the data provided between the two databases. Um, and so that is the kind of re-identification problem that we would really want to avoid. Okay, yeah, now I understand exactly. One other question. Should entities train their staff on these risks and issues? Sure, sure. Um, I think the short answer is yes, but I don't think this is the kind of training that everyone needs to this level, right? I mean, I think there are certain folks in every institution, legal and compliance, that need this level of training. But otherwise, we need our business folks, our marketing folks, you know, really anyone who has contact with business partners and vendors who may propose these types of projects to understand what these projects look like and where the risks are from a general sense. So they can appropriately identify this type of project and bring it to the folks that really need to take a closer look at it. So, you know, so we wouldn't expect someone who is, you know, out in the community working with business partners, you know, to really know the nuances here, but we would want them to be the kind of employee that says, oh, you know what? I think this is one of those complicated data sharing projects. I probably need to work with legal or compliance on this one so that they're escalated appropriately, not so that everybody has to keep this information handy, but so that they have, you know, enough knowledge and understanding of how risky this is for our organization such that they can say, oh, yeah, this is one of those data sharing projects. I need to be sure to escalate this as soon as possible so that we can have legal and compliance look at this so we can take advantage of this fantastic opportunity in the right way. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much, Ileana. Did you have any other words of advice or things that you had thought of during the presentation that you didn't bring up at the time? I don't think so. I just, you know, wanted to say thank you for having me and that I absolutely understand this is a really complicated area of uh, current legal issues. And so I hope that individuals will uh, take a little bit of time to, to, you know, walk this through with their teams, but of course are, are free to get in touch if they have any additional questions. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Ileana. Really loved having you today on First Talk Compliance. Can't wait to have you back. Thanks for having me. And thanks to our audience for tuning in to First Talk Compliance. You can learn more about the programs on our programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at FirstHCC or hashtag FirstTalkCompliance. You can also email me at KatherineShort at FirstHCC.com. I'm Catherine Short of First Healthcare Compliance. Remember, compliance is the key to achieving peace of mind.